Well, good morning, church. It's always a powerful blessing to me for us to be together, uh, for us to sing, to gather around the table, to pray, and to imagine once again the depths of the riches of the love that God has for every single one of us. And I am so excited about next week, next Sunday, as we not only consider God's amazing love for us, but we, we ask ourselves how we get to be a part of that and helping other people experience not only the news of that love, but the truth of it. And every year as we get closer to Harvest Sunday, I, I think about our world. I think about all of our, our missionary families. I think about our, our mission partners. And I'm just overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude. Not just for who they are, but for who God brings them to. And, and I think about our opportunities throughout the year at various times to go on those let's go trips, to, to see those missionaries at work, to get to witness the way the kingdom is breaking in, restoring lives, bringing second chances. And I, I realize, we, we all realize together the financial realities of our world in this moment. There, there are a lot of headwinds. And I know that as our families are prayerfully thinking about the ways we're going to financially partner together, there may be a lot of questions, there may be a lot of challenges that each one of our families were facing. But I just, I want to encourage every single one of us to think once again about the invitation from God. You know, God, God doesn't need us to be a part of what he's doing, but he asks us. He gives us that invitation, and we get to make the decision of how we're going to be a part of it. And there are a lot of different ways that you and I can, can spend our money. There are a lot of different ways that we can invest our money. There is no better way. There is no greater way to invest than in that treasure, that treasure of souls, where Jesus says, you know what? Nothing can destroy the goodness that comes when we invest in the kingdom. And so I just want, I want you to think about that. I want you to be praying about that. And I am looking forward to seeing every year. I'm blown away by the way this church partners together. And I can't wait to see what that looks like next week. What that also means is that we are drawing this series on uh, the letter to the Hebrews to a close. And so this is our, our last day uh, that we're going to spend together as a church focusing on the, the words of encouragement and challenge, comfort, uh, promise that we find in this amazing letter in Scripture. And, and because we're nearing the end of it and, and we're going to read a passage that's near the close of the letter, I want to just take just a few moments, just a, a few minutes. I know when preachers say that you think, yeah, right. But just a few minutes uh, to remind ourselves of kind of where we've been throughout the letter. And I promise you, we're just going to hit a couple of highlights. Things that I want us to be holding on to in our hearts and our minds as we hear this last text that we're going to read together. So the first thing that we asked ourselves at the very beginning of this study is, okay, if, if we have to hold on to an idea 
that motivates, that drives every single verse of this letter in Scripture? What is at the heart? What is at the core? What's the one takeaway that we need to understand in order to understand the rest of it? And here's how we express that right at the beginning, right? That we are on a journey through life where things are always changing and we need to hold on tight to the things that never change. And and we talked about how, you know, that that was true 2,000 years ago, but it's it's just as true now. That we we look at the state of our world, how things are going. I just mentioned the economy. The economy is just one piece of that, where we, we try to find something to build our lives on, where we are constantly looking for something that's, reliable and dependable no matter what. And the, the author of the letter of Hebrews says, yeah, we all need that. We, we all understand it. We all have moments where it's clear to us. But we tend to reach for the wrong things. E- even as people of, of faith, we tend to reach for the wrong things. We, we try to find our certainty and our ability to do certain religious practices really well. We, we try to find this this foundation that we're searching for by how much we know about God. In in other words, we try to build our own foundation in a world that's constantly breaking our, our foundations down. And so the Hebrews writer says, in a world where everything's changing, we need to hold on to the things that never change. And those things come from the heart of God alone. That we need to hold on to God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's our foundation. And and more specifically, in Hebrews we find a focus on the unique role and tasks of God the Son, of Jesus. And, And the ways in which what Jesus does is powerful and world altering in a way unlike any other moment in history that we could point to, any other figure in history that we might look up to, Jesus stands alone. And so we talked about this idea, right, that Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior, that his death is final and universal and his life is ongoing and eternal, that Jesus dies once for all, that that all of the, the consequences, the eternal punishment that we might be afraid of, Jesus takes all of that on when he gives his his life for you and for me. And even though he experiences death and he goes through the, the painful process of the cross and he's placed in a tomb, three days later he comes back from the dead. His life is stronger than death and it is ongoing and it's a life that you and I don't just get to read about. It's a life that we get to experience Because we don't just live in a world where things are uncertain and we need to figure out what it is, who it is that we can hold on to. We also live in a world that is running away from its fear of death being the end. And when you live your life afraid of death because you think it's the end, you can often, you can be so scared that you end up giving your life to things that don't last, things that don't matter. We look for the certainty that we want in all kinds of places. Even those of us who have 
come to some measure of faith, some reliance on Jesus, we can start to think, yeah, but what if? And in Hebrews we're told, come back. Come back to your first love. Come back to what you know is true. It's Jesus. And then just last week, we, we talked about the way that, that Christ shows us what it means to run this race well. That it's a, a life that's built on faith. And by faith, we mean that he ran his race trusting in God. That it's, it's a relationship that he trusts. It's not just stuff that he knows that's true. We talked about how faith isn't just thinking certain things or feeling certain things or, or desiring certain things. Faith is trusting a certain someone. Jesus shows us what that's like. But he doesn't just run towards God. He's running with joy. And, and we talked about this truth, right? That the joy that gave Jesus the strength to keep going wasn't some abstract promise of a good future. No, it was the thought of a future with you. You're Jesus' joy. You're, you're why he did it, right? You're his reward. You're the reason he ran the race. And he's the reason that we keep running. Okay, now holding all of that in our hearts, I want us now to hear this final passage from Hebrews. So let's read it together. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. You haven't come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's where we have come. And then he says, therefore... Since we are receiving all of this, right, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. If I was ever going to be blessed enough thousands of years ago to get to write some lines of scripture, this would be it. Well, when you think about this contrast of where we're afraid we're coming. And the Hebrews writer is saying, no, no, no. You haven't come in fear and trembling, sure that you're not good enough, afraid that you haven't done enough. That isn't, that's not where you've come. You've come to Zion. You've come to this city of the living God. You've You've come to a joyful assembly with angels and saints made perfect. The firstborn of the resurrection. You've come to God, the judge, and not just the judge, but the savior of all. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new cup. That's where I want to come when I come to church, right? 
Now, the first thing I want to do, and I'm going to have to kind of slip into acting like a, a college professor just for a moment here, and some of my students are actually in the room this morning, so I'm sorry. This is going to be vaguely familiar for you. Not the material, but the feeling. Okay, so I want us to talk a little bit about this. You haven't come to this mountain, but you have come to this other mountain, right? So the Hebrews writer doesn't actually name the first mountain, but it has a name. What's the name of the first mountain? Sinai, right? So he says, you you got this mountain that you've read about in the Old Testament and that many of the people in this, this congregation that the Hebrews writer is addressing, they're still caught up in viewing God that way and viewing their journey to God that way. And they are filled, when they think about that mountain, the primary experience they have, at least according to this author, is overwhelming fear. Right? When you say storm and gloom and darkness, and they, they were listening to the word of God, and what God was saying to them made them say, stop. Stop talking. We can't take it. We can't bear it. And the Hebrews writer obviously thought Moses was, was braver than I am because he uses him as an example to say even Moses was afraid. The one who had the most courage to draw close to God, he was trembling with fear. And there are times, brothers and sisters, where I don't think it's just this Christian community thousands of years ago that this letter was first written to. They're not the only people who sometimes continue to view approaching God with that kind of heaviness and weight and concern that the God we're trying to approach, right? And at the very top of this mountain is just an encounter with the living God. That's where they're trying to go. It's where they think they want to go until God starts to to interact with them in ways that make it clear to them just how difficult that journey is going to be to get from where they are to where God is. That it's not just the physical mountain they're trying to climb. It's a spiritual mountain, and it feels like it's too hard for them to get there. I think you and I have various times in our spiritual lives and our spiritual journeys where our primary reaction to thinking about God and the presence of God is fear and trembling and shame because we know that we just aren't good enough. We haven't followed the rules carefully enough. We haven't said that the prayers exactly the way we we think we should have said the prayer. We, we read scripture, but we, we realize there's all these sections of the Bible that we don't really understand. We're just not good. Who wants to come to church where the primary thing that you feel is, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not good enough. And the Hebrews writer says, I know you carry those concerns with you. I know there's times you slip back into thinking, this is what's going on. And somehow, maybe if we do worship well enough together, God might stop looking just at Jared, and God might look at someone else in the room who's lived a better, more righteous life, and then maybe their righteousness will be credited to my account somehow because we all go to church together. And then may, So maybe your good week covers up my bad week. And then maybe we can all get closer to to God together. And maybe he won't kill us this time. It's hard 
when that's, when that's how we're thinking about ourselves and we're thinking about God's presence and we're thinking about the, the gulf between where we are and where we're trying to go, it's, it's soul-shattering. See, but that's not, that's not the truth. It feels like the truth, but it's not the truth. Because Jesus changes everything. So he says, you haven't come to this mountain. You've come to a different mountain, right? You've come to Mount Zion. And instead of having this journey of overwhelming fear, you have ever-increasing joy along the way. Because you have a growing understanding that you are being drawn closer and closer to God, not because of what you do, but because you trust in what Jesus is doing. And you are going to encounter the living God, but it's even that the idea that we're encountering God is a bigger concept than people knew to have at the beginning because they thought they were just going to get up at the top of Mount Sinai and they'd get into that cloud and it, they wouldn't be struck by lightning and they'd be able to stay there and God would be this overwhelming sense of, of power and judgment and authority. And the Hebrews writer says... Where we're headed is an encounter with the living God, but it's not only God, it's everyone. It's the city of the living God. That there's a community there. That we don't journey alone, and when we get to the end of that journey, we're not going to be alone there either. Now, here's what's tricky. I know you didn't come for a geometry lesson. I think I'm actually wrong in what I've just told you. Because I don't think there's two mountains headed to two different places, headed to two different versions of God, one I don't like and one I do like. I think it's one mountain. I think it's one mountain that if, if we could just imagine that these blend, right, that the mountains come together. Go ahead, hit the button so that it'll happen up there in the booth. Okay, woo, that's Stephen, Stephen's work. Okay, I don't know how to do that. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, it's not two mountains headed to two different destinations. It's two pathways up the same mountain. Okay, and one is the pathway I make for myself because I think I can get there if I just try hard enough. And guess what? I'm not going to make it. And I'm going to find that out over and over and over again. And that fear is going to grow in me. But there's this other pathway up the mountain. It's, it's not a way I make. Jesus is this way. And he's taking me to the place I've always wanted to be. Whatever, whatever phrase we use to describe it, right? The Hebrews writer calls it the city of the living God. But whatever phrase you might use to describe it, Jesus is the only way we're going to get there. There's not two mountains. There's two pathways up the same mountain. Okay, and what I want to say is this. Any pathway into God's holy presence that depends upon our own personal holiness is a deceptive dead end. Jesus is the only way we can get to where we're hoping to go and to be who we're hoping to be when we get there. Now, I was going to leave it at that. I thought, oh, that sounds pretty good. 
And then I was talking to Avery, and she says, yeah, that sounds pretty vague. What do you mean when you say Jesus is, how would we know the difference between I'm making my, my own way up the mountain, at least I'm trying to, versus I'm trusting Jesus to be my way up the mountain? And my initial reaction to her was, well, other people will get it, Avery. And then I went back to my office and I thought, nope, she's right. How would we know the difference, right? How can we tell that difference between our way and then trusting in Jesus to be the way? I think it comes down to this. We keep using our climbing tools in partnership with Jesus instead of using them to prove we can reach Jesus. What do I mean by that? What are our most common climbing tools when it comes to trying to make our way up the mountain? Well, I'd like to be a biblical expert, if that's not too much to ask. I would like to be a person of prayer, right? I want to be a person who serves. I want to be a person who is dedicated to being a part of this community. There are spiritual practices, right, that are our climbing tools that we use. The tools are never the problem, but our attitude about those tools, our intention when we reach for those tools, that's the problem. That's where these two paths become two different ways up the mountain. Okay, so I can read Scripture. Scripture's not the issue, right? Scripture's not the problem. My relationship to it could be the problem because if the primary reason I'm reading scripture is to be known as someone who's an expert in scripture where I know where everything is and I I've memorized a lot of it and I just know it cold and that if we had a church-wide bible bowl I would win right not as long as James is in here I would not win right okay so that if that's the primary reason I'm doing it is a sense of fear that I need to know more so that I can make it farther up the mountain, that's different than saying I am reading scripture because I trust that Jesus is there and Jesus speaks to me when I open my heart up to it. See, that's, that's me working with Jesus along the way because the best thing about this mountain is we're not only waiting to get to heaven, heaven is coming with us. Jesus is beside us. When it comes to prayer, I'm not just wanting to be really good at saying beautiful things to God about my life and about what I want, or I'm not just good at leading a community of people in prayer because I'm I'm eloquent or I know how to how to craft things, but no, I just I pray because I need to be near God. And I need to open my heart up to who God is calling me and empowering me to be. I need to learn how to think God's thoughts after Him. I don't want to become a person of prayer who's just really good at praying and that's what I think is the whole point of it. No. When it comes to the gathering together as God's people, I'm not just trying to prove that I'm the best worshiper in the room. I don't even know how you would win or have or whatever that contest, but it would be depressing. We're not here trying to outdo one another in how well we do this corporate worship thing. And we're not foolish enough to think that if we do it in all the right ways, that's going to unlock this this magic moment. Now we worship, we come to this place together because we need God. And we need to pay more attention to Jesus than we usually do anywhere else. 
And when it comes to service, I better not be doing it because I want people to be impressed with how compassionate or caring or, or patient I am. I need to serve out of a sense of gratitude for all that God has done for me and in me and through me. That it's not about what I'm accomplishing. It's simply getting to be a part of what God is inviting me into. Do you see the two pathways? It's not the climbing tools. We need climbing tools. It's how we use them, why we use them. And where are we going? We're going to the city of the living God. We're going to this joyful assembly of thousands of thousands of angels and saints made perfect. We're going to heaven. And here's my favorite part of this whole passage. He doesn't say, one day you will come. He says, you have come. And he doesn't say it once. He says it over and over again. You have come. Which touches on something about heaven that I have missed for a majority of my life. You know, heaven's a tricky subject for our particular church tradition, the Churches of Christ, because heaven is beyond understanding. Heaven is beyond clearly defining. And we love to understand and clearly define. That's kind of our thing. And not only do I want to clearly define it, I want to be always consistent. But there's a danger in, in that pursuit, right? And we're back to using the climbing tool in a way that God didn't intend for us to use it, right? Where, where I, if I can't understand something, that it can't be true. But I want us to open our hearts up to this wonderful reality. And I want you to be open to this, even if you've never heard something like this before. But I'm convinced that what the Hebrews writer is trying to get us to see this morning is when we gather together as God's people, heaven and earth merge into one. In other words, we go to church with angels. We, uh, we go to church with resurrected saints made whole and healthy again. We go to church with every other believer throughout the world. We go to church with Jesus. Do you have a, a sense every single week that this is what's happening when we go to church? Because I'll just confess to you, I don't. I, I can get so wrapped up in the temperature in this room and how some of you think it's 100 degrees and some of you think it's way too cold. And I can get caught up in did the slides turn at the right moment and, uh, you know, did the order of worship, did we miss something and, you know, are there enough seats for people to find a place to sit with their family? And I can get so caught up in all the logistics of what we're happening here that I can get all the way through a worship service and I never actually encounter the presence of God. Now that has nothing to do with whether or not God is present. It has everything to do with whether or not I'm 
I'm open to experiencing that presence, which is what worship is supposed to be. But the Hebrews writer is telling us something even more amazing than that to me, which is when we go to church, we don't go to church alone. We go to church with angels and with resurrected saints and with all the believers all over the world. We go to church with Jesus himself. Now, back to this notion of needing to understand heaven. Right? I have always struggled with what do people who we have loved and lost, what are they aware of in our ongoing lives between that moment and judgment day and all of us being a part of that wonderful reunion at the end of time? And if you ask scripture that, you're going to go to a bunch of different places, some of which say things like those who have fallen asleep in Christ. Okay, but even when you're sleeping, you can have dreams, right? And hopefully God would give you dreams of amazing things that are happening here that you get to witness even though maybe you're not fully conscious, right? So maybe that's part of what's happening. Or, or maybe it's that, you know, God, as, as someone is, is safe in Christ, that just means they're with him. And he allows them to see moments from our lives between their death and that reunion, you know, we get so caught up, I think, at times in saying, I know exactly how it works, that sometimes we miss a really important truth. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. I don't know who it is, who you've loved and lost, who you've worshipped with before, but I want you to know this. Every time we come to church, we're with them again. They're here. Or maybe I should say, we're there. I don't know how it works. I don't care that I don't know how it works. I'm so thankful that we get to dream about what does that mean? I want to pull up a, a post from a Church of Christ minister and also a teacher at Lipscomb University. This is a picture of his mother on the last Sunday she was alive in a hospice bed watching church on an iPad with earphones. He says, two years ago, my mother passed into the arms of God. This is our last photo of her. She is praying with her church, Ross Road Church of Christ, in her hospice bed at home. With earbuds and Zoom, this was her last gathering with the saints in her Adamic body. He's a professor. He couldn't help himself. They're her earthly body. <laughs> Nevertheless, we still gather with her whenever we assemble because at that moment, heaven and earth are one, thanks be to God. Yeah. Now, it may not be your mother. It may be your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter. It might be that neighbor who invited you to church for the first time when no one else in your family went. I don't know who it is for you, but I want you to know that when you come to church, they're here with us too. I was talking about this idea with someone this week, and through tears in her eyes, she said to me, why haven't I ever heard this at church? And I said, I don't know, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. And she said, is that why I feel closer to him on Sundays at church? And I said, I think so. 
And then she asked me a question that stayed with me ever since that conversation. She said, does he know it too? I think he does. Isn't that amazing? That we have these moments when we gather together as the people of God and all the people we've loved and lost, they're with us. They're healthy and made whole again. That's what perfect means. And not just them, but all of the people all over the, the Aren't you thankful that we're worshiping with those two girls that talk to us around communion and, and the, the kids offering? Aren't you thankful that we're worshiping with them today? Even if it's a, a different time zone and at a different moment, somehow when we gather together as God's people, God's future becomes our present. And we're there with them. And they're here with us. And it's beautiful beyond description. When you feel closer to someone you love in worship, it's because they're with you. And there are days when I come to this place and I'm struggling. I'm struggling to remember why I'm here. My guess is that some of you have that same struggle at times. And if we're not careful, we'll let all the earthly aspects of worship take over and we'll wonder, are we doing it just right? And, you know, was this good enough? And am am I engaged enough? And do I like what we're doing here? And we all have those moments and we all have those questions and we all struggle with distractions. And hear me out here. I am not in any way trying to shame anyone in this room who this morning hasn't felt anything. Because you know what? Jesus loves you anyway, and Jesus is with you anyway. But I am so, so thankful for the moments when heaven and earth become one. It keeps us going. Because we're not just headed there. We're not just going to heaven. Heaven is coming to us. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I just I want you to open your heart up. I want you to open your mind up, your soul up to the goodness of what it means to be ushered into the gracious, merciful presence of God. That it's not about our track records and us figuring it out. and It's just us being willing to give everything we are and everything we have in the hope. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they're not just waiting for us to prove that we can reach them, but they're reaching out their hand and asking us to keep going. Let's sing together now.